Blog Talk Radio. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. He who knows his sheep, whose names he wrote down before the foundation of the world, he will build his church. Here's an interesting exercise. Do an internet search for churches in your area. What do they emphasize? What do they say is their purpose? You'll probably find priorities like building relationships, addressing emotional needs, having a contemporary style. 
Have those things found too high a place in the church today? Bottom line, what is the role of the church? What is the role of the pastor? How can a pastor make sure he's honoring the Lord every Sunday? The title of John MacArthur's current study gives more than a little hint. Join him now on Grace to You Weekend as he begins the series titled, Why is Preaching Worth Fighting For? Here's the lesson. There are five reasons why the Lord has designed that the center and heart of the ministry of the church is preaching and preaching the Word, the Word of God, the revealed Scripture. Reason number one is because of dangerous times, dangerous times. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. But realize this, he says, that in the last days, difficult times will come. He says, preach the Word because of the dangerous times, the dangerous seasons. It is, a, it is a time of all times to preach the Word. Here we are getting further down the line, uh, accumulating more and more danger, and at the same time, a diminishing of the proclamation of the truth to meet that danger rather than an escalation of it. We ought to be doing exactly the opposite of what we are doing. Instead of setting preaching aside, we ought to be increasing the preaching and the preachers because of the increase in the dangers. Serious dangers exist today in the church, threatening the church. And that's why we have to preach the Word, because the Word answers all of these things. The Word sorts it all out, whether it's sacramentalism or rationalism, whether it's some form of liberalism or experientialism or mysticism or subjectivism or pragmatism or whatever it is, the Word of God gives the truth that comes to bear against all of that. There's a second reason why Paul tells us we have to preach, not only because we live in dangerous times which can only be addressed by divine truth proclaimed, but we are to preach because of godly examples of godly examples, because we have been given a pattern to follow. Look at verse 10. Paul says to Timothy, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose. You followed my faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me, and indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Then down to verse 14, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Paul says, you must preach because that's the pattern that's been set for you. You have followed me in my ministerial duty, that is, my teaching and my conduct. You, saw, you, you heard my teaching. You watched my ministry unfold. You saw how I conducted myself as God's servant, as an apostle. You not only followed my ministry, but you followed my personal life. Verse 10, you saw my purpose. That is my motive, what drove me, what compelled me. You, you saw my faith. You saw me in all of the issues of ministry, trusting God. You saw the strength and direction of my faith. You saw my endurance. You saw my love. In other words, the Lord brought you beside me to follow my pattern 
a pattern of ministry, how I taught and, and how I conducted my ministry, a pattern of personal quality, the motives of my heart, my faith in God, my endurance, my love for Him and love for people. And then he says, you even had the opportunity, because Timothy, of course, followed Paul, spent years with him, you even had the opportunity to see me in difficult experiences, to learn, he says in verse 10, of my perseverance, then in verse 11, to learn of my persecutions and my sufferings, uh, such as happened to me, for example, at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, uh, all the way there uh, to, to being stoned and left for dead on a dump. You saw the persecutions. You saw that I endured them. You saw that the Lord delivered me out of them all. In other words, God gave you a model to follow. God gave you a model of ministry. Paul is saying to Timothy, you must preach the Word because that's what we do and that's what we've trained you to do and that's the model that has been established for you. You saw what we were, what we are. We're not entertainers. We are preachers and we live and die for the truth. So we preach in the church because of the dangerous seasons that can only be confronted by the truth proclaimed that threatened the life of the church and the honor of the Lord of the church. We preach because of godly examples who have passed on this baton to us. I look back to a father, a grandfather, a great-grandfather, a great-great-grandfather. Five generations passing on the preaching responsibility. My professors, my teachers in seminary, ministers and pastors and Bible teachers who influenced my life, I'm just one in a long line. I, I just want to keep being faithful to the same pattern that God established. That's why we preach, because our godly examples have established that pattern. If there's anybody that I would choose above all to be like, it would be the Apostle Paul. You probably know that. I really don't want to change anything. I just want to try to do as closely to what he did as I can possibly do. There's a third reason why we preach. We preach because of the dangerous times. We preach because we're in a line of godly examples. We preach, thirdly, because of the power of the Word. We preach because of the power of the Word. Verse 15, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. We preach, and we preach because we know the sacred writings. What are the sacred writings? Right here, the books of Scripture. And they are able to give the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. We preach because the Word is powerful to save. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding Word of God. And verse 25, and this is the Word which was preached to you. We preach because the Word saves. The Word transforms. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord converts the soul. That's why we preach the power of the Word. Then in verse 16 he adds, all Scripture, we preach all Scripture because it's all inspired by God, it's all profitable. And we preach the whole counsel of God because it's all inspired and it's all profitable. People sometimes say to me, you go so slowly through the Scripture. The truth is I probably don't go slowly enough. If it's all inspired, I really don't want to skip anything. If it's all profitable, I don't want to go over anything. 
It's all profitable for teaching. What's that? Doctrine. For giving people truth that is, listen, precise and accurate. The Bible is not just a blur that you can sort of fill in any way you want. The Bible is clear and precise. And you are to study to show yourself approved, a workman needing not to be ashamed because you rightly divide it. It needs to be handled with great precision so that you can give people teaching or doctrine, sound truth. Then he adds, reproof. It has the power not only to give people truth, but it has the power to expose error. It reproves. It, it exposes error. It uncovers the lie. And then he adds in verse 16, for correction. That literally means to restore someone to an upright position. It has the power to correct, to put something back in place, to put something broken, set, and back functioning. And then he adds training, the positive side of correction. You pick up the broken pieces, reassemble, and train for usefulness. Now, when you think about the work of the Word, when you think about what the Word does, it saves, it provides truth, it exposes error, it restores, and it trains, you begin to understand its power. Verse 17, that the man of God may be adequate. I don't think that's a very good translation because when we think of adequate, we, we think of something that's marginally acceptable. Well, it's adequate. That's not what this means. It means that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Why do we preach the Word, folks? <laughs> because the Word makes the man of God complete, equipped for every good work. That's the sufficiency of Scripture. We preach, then, because of the dangerous seasons. We preach because of the godly examples before us, and we preach because of the power of Scripture. We preach the Word because the Word changes lives. God is ordained by the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. And we were begotten again, as we read in 1 Peter 1, by the Word which was preached to us. I, I'm, I believe in personal counseling. I believe in personal discipleship. I believe in small group Bible studies. But I think the greatest power in the proclamation of truth in the church is preaching and teaching through gifted men who know the Scriptures. Fourthly, we, we preach, in case uh, we're not motivated enough yet, chapter 4, we preach because not only of the dangerous times, the godly examples, and the power of Scripture, but we preach because of the command of God. Chapter 4, verse 1, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom preach the Word. Now, that is heavy language, folks. I charge you, not because of some earthly ordination, not because of some ecclesiastical expectation, not because of some seminary training. I, I charge you, the word charge means command, and Paul is speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit like an Old Testament prophet, the very Word of God. I command you from God to preach, 
because your whole life and ministry is carried on in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and they will judge you. That's why Paul said, woe is unto me if I what? Preach not. Woe is unto me if I preach not. God is watching. Christ is watching. Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And that's going to happen in the glory of His appearing when He establishes His kingdom. There is coming a reckoning time. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said, it's, a, it's, it's not of concern to me what you think. Remember that in verses 1 to 5? And he said, I, I, it's of small consideration what men think about me. He said, I don't even judge myself because when I know nothing against myself, I'm not necessarily justified. I'm not a very good judge of myself either. I tend to be biased in my own favor. But, he said, the Lord will judge me in the day that the secrets of the heart are disclosed. That's the final verdict. Then we'll find out how much wood, hay, stubble, how much gold, silver, precious stones. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Submit to those who are over you in the Lord, for they must give an account. James said, Stop being so many teachers, for theirs is a greater condemnation. Those of us who preach and teach the Word of God stand before God with an immense responsibility. And obviously we realize, as James said, that a man who never offends with his mouth is a perfect man. And since none of us are perfect, we have a great liability to that kind of offense. We must give an account to God, and we will give an account to God for the character of our ministries and our preaching. And so again, I have to confess to you that it frankly matters little to me what human opinion is. It matters little to me and should continue to matter little to me what I might prefer to do, and it matters an awful lot to me what God has demanded that I do. I really, I really could never do anything other than what I do, preaching the Word of God, because I... I'm a man under command, and I, I have to give an account, and an account will come in the day when I come before the Lord. And then we will receive, says Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, according to what we have done, whether it's good or useless. And in the day that I give an account to the Lord, I, I want to honor the Lord. That's why we preach. Preach the Word, Timothy, because of dangerous times, godly examples, the power of the Scripture, and your accountability to God. And lastly, he says, preach the Word because of the tendency to deception, because of the tendency to drift. Verses 3 and 4, the time will come, and he doesn't mean it's, you know, sometime in the nebulous uh, eons ahead. He, he really means, again, it's kairos, it's seasons again. And he's right back to kind of where he started. He, he says, you need to do this because there are going to be those times when they will not endure sound doctrine. They will have had it, they will have heard it, you will have preached it, and they won't like it. And so they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. They'll go looking for somebody who says what they want to hear. They'll crave the teachers who suit their tastes. They'll crave the teachers who make them feel good. And truth will have a hard time getting a hearing. You know, it'll happen in a lot of cases. It sometimes happens in a little church where there's some prominent individual in the church who starts a fight, and the preacher gets up and preaches to that issue, 
and brings the Word of God to bear upon that fight and loses his job because they don't want to hear the truth. It happens sometimes in a church where a prominent person who maybe gave a lot of money is involved in some serious sin, and the preacher addresses the sin and loses his job because they don't want to hear the truth. And maybe there's a meeting and he's told to cool it if he wants a paycheck. It can happen in a lot of ways, those times when there's a tendency to deception. It can happen when people don't want to come under the conviction of the, of the Word of God and, and they want the, the preacher to back off because they really don't want to hear that. They, they just want to hear what they want to hear. In verse 4, they'll turn away their ears from the truth, turn aside to myths. Pretty good reasons to preach the Word, right? Stay faithful. Stay on track, Timothy. Verse 5, keep your priorities straight. That's what be sober means. It doesn't mean don't get drunk. It means keep your priorities right. And when suffering comes, endure it. Keep reaching out to the lost. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You know what it is. It's to preach the Word. Just keep doing it. And remember me. When you get to the end, don't expect too much. I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. Here was the greatest, the greatest of all. And he was about to be executed. But he could say in verse 7, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. And then he could say in the next verse, I'm, I'm going up there to get my crown. And it's a crown available to all who love his appearing. Well, I think you get the message here. Preach the Word. Because of dangerous times, godly examples, the power of the Scripture, accountability to God, and the tendency of people to drift. They'll drift. Sad to say, even when you're preaching the Word, hard to imagine what they'll do if you don't. Constantly be faithful to call them back. For all these reasons, great function in the church is to preach. To preach God's Word what we do. This is Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. Thanks for tuning in today. John is Chancellor of the Master's University and Seminary, and his current study is titled, Why is Preaching Worth Fighting For? Well, John, if you're known for anything, it's expository preaching, and that's reflected in Grace to You's motto, Unleashing God's Truth One Verse at a Time. But would you say that pastors always have to dig that deep into a particular text? Or is there a place for preaching that is more topical than expositional? Well, I think um, it depends on what you mean by topical. I can preach on a topic. We're preaching on preaching in this series. We're preaching on a subject. But in order to make the case for that subject, we have to exposit the scriptures that apply to that subject. So, yes, I could do a series on the Christian life. I could do a series on the deity of Christ. I could do a series on um, the doctrine of sovereign election. That's part of the fullness of scripture. So, yes, the answer is, of course, you can preach on themes and topics. And as long as you understand that what underlies your conclusions is the careful exposition of the scriptures that relate to that subject. So if you're going to preach on the deity of Christ, let's say you would need then to do an exposition of John 1. Mm -hmm. You would need to do an exposition of, uh, of Philippians 2. 
which talks about how he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. So, yeah, the the preaching on themes and subjects is very, very important, but those themes and the conclusions you draw have to be related to the exposition of Scripture. And I would even back it up another way and say, if I am preaching through, let's say, the book of Philippians, and I come to chapter 2, and I'm preaching that Christ became a man and humbled himself and took on the form of a servant, I start with that text, but I end up with the theology of the Incarnation. Right. So I end up talking about Christology. So you could start with the subject of Christology, and you could come to the conclusions by going to the Word, the Scriptures that relate to that doctrine, or you could start with an exposition, and when you come across that doctrine in the exposition, you go to other Scriptures and you build a case for the deity of Christ that way. But I would say it's important to to acknowledge this, that whether you start with the text or start with the subject, you have to rightly divide the Word, and in the end, you want to make the subject, the doctrine, clear from either approach. That's helpful, John. Thanks. And now, friend, as important as it is for pastors to understand and accurately explain biblical truth, it's also important that you rightly handle the Word of God. So let me suggest you pick up the MacArthur Study Bible. The most important feature of the Study Bible, after the biblical text, is the 25,000 footnotes that will help you understand virtually every passage. To get your copy, contact us today. Call toll-free 800-55-GRACE or visit our website, gty.org. The Study Bible is available in the English Standard, the New King James, and the New American Standard versions. It's also available in Russian, Spanish, Arabic, Chinese, and many other languages. Again, to order, call 800-55-GRACE or visit gty.org. And if you'd like to review each lesson from John's study, Why is Preaching Worth Fighting For?, you can download both lessons at gty.org. They're available free of charge, along with 3,500 other sermons. That's every message from John's more than 50 years as a pastor and Bible teacher. And again, all of those sermons are free at gty.org. That's our website. One more time, gty.org. Now for John MacArthur and our mixing engineer, Kai Burns, and the entire Grace to You staff, I'm Phil Johnson. Thanks for making this broadcast part of your day, and make sure you join us again next week. John's going to look at how you can know true joy even in your darkest days. He's beginning a study titled Benefiting from Life's Trials. Don't miss another 30 minutes of unleashing God's truth one verse at a time on Grace to You Weekend. About describing you, I really don't know where to start. Can't start at the beginning, cause you are before the beginning, way before the beginning. And this fallen world's distorted opinions, it was just a holy trinity, ruling from infinity. Glory blazed tremendously, loving one another endlessly. Billions, billions of years ago, outside of what we know, it's time. Nobody else was there to know, but Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind. 
As long ago as that was As long ago as that was You have not changed, Lord Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord As long ago, as long ago As long ago as that was You're still the same You have not changed What can that mean? But my God is immutable Immutable, you are beautiful Not just because of what you do, but simply because of who you are There's none like you in existence, you are God and you need no assistance Even though we show you resistance, you sent Jesus to close the distance That existed between God and man, according to your sovereign plan We changed many times in one lifespan, I changed even since this song began Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us, all that you do will certainly last You are the rock that we can trust, shows us back in eternity past As long ago as that was, as long ago as that was have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, 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 as long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed, what can that mean, but my God is immutable, immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the same, immutable, All of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies Still you pursue relentlessly At times I wonder how this can be Surely it's because of the cross Where Jesus paid the full penalty And bore the burden of sin's great cost I'm saved by grace and faith in God I look to Christ and I trust he died So even though I'm being sanctified I can't be any more justified His work is finished that cannot change And with this knowledge I am free Forever this grace it will remain Because of what happened on Calvary As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change. You remain the same. Immutable, beautiful You never change, never change Forever you reign, you remain the same You will never change, you will never change Immutable, beautiful You never change, never change Hope, meaning and purpose This is Ken Ham, heading up the ministry that's built a 510-foot-long Noah's Ark. A recent study from the United Kingdom reported that 9 in 10 young people believe their lives have no meaning or purpose. And that's no surprise. Most young people in the UK are atheists. 
Atheism offers no ultimate hope, meaning or purpose. In that view, we're all just accidents of evolution and this life is all there is. When you're dead, you're dead. That's it. You won't remember you were ever here and eventually no one else will either. There's no ultimate hope, meaning or purpose in that view. The biblical worldview is so different. We've been created by God to bring Him glory and enjoy Him forever if we repent and believe. Subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com and find more encouragement and answers at AnswersRadio.com. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. Yeah.
created male and female. This is Ken Ham, CEO of Answers in Genesis, Ark Encounter, and the Creation Museum. Last year, an article in a popular magazine argued against a particular societal prejudice. And what was it? Well, it was the fact that nearly 90% of individuals wouldn't consider dating a transgender person. And the authors were upset about this. Our culture has quickly gone from, you must tolerate this, to, you must celebrate this. And now they're going so far as to say it's prejudice not to date transgender people. But we know, starting with God's word, that we've been created male and female. A man cannot become a woman, and a woman cannot become a man. In a broken world, some people struggle with this issue, but we're created male and female. Listen to this program again, or view a complete transcript at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you visit AnswersRadio.com. All I want to do is praise your name From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same You are my God and all I want to do is praise your name
This is Ken Ham on a mission to call the church back to the authority of God's Word. There's a clear war going on in our culture right now, a war between right and wrong, truth and error. Ultimately, it's a war between God's Word and man's Word. Here's just one example. Teen Vogue is a publication aimed at young teen girls. Now, last year, it ran an article telling those girls that prostitution and other jobs like it are real work, that they're just a job like any other. Really, it's an attempt to normalize sin and sinful desires. You see, our secular culture is working hard to convince the next generation that morality is relative and that as long as something feels good to you, do it. But morality isn't determined by how we feel. God determines it. Discover biblical answers to the hot-button issues of our culture when you visit AnswersRadio.com. You'll be equipped and encouraged when you go to AnswersRadio.com. Much loves much. You want to talk about BC a little bit? My depravity. 
Nobody was total, not small like Pops. I was chained to sin, I couldn't take off the locks. I thought I was a player, a match with the flavor. Say, I know what the time is, but I ain't bet Isaiah. I would chuckle daily as I paid for disgrace. My eyes were always puffy like I got sprayed with mace. I would toot my horn at parties, and I would do bars. Got so intoxicated, I was ready to do Mars. Notorious for acting pretty silly in my city, Philly. Friends hear about it and be like, whoa, did he really? Because I played dirty, Bill and beer style. Through great mercy, spirit-filled and dear child. Went from so gritty to headed to a gold city. In Christ I shine, the world's like no biggie. Whatever time to sing, I'm putting faith on the song. 112, displayed in John, the way to respond. When his patience runs out, then it's time for the ride, man. Microwave, wrath of God, fam. That's why, because of Christ, I got mad joy. All I'm saying is I used to be a bad boy. <laughs> but nowadays, I'm regenerated. Born again from above, fam. How else can I say that? Went from various vices to a kid that's married to Christ. Using literary devices to spit is very precise. My conversion to the master was so dramatic. I just wanted to be an ambassador or fanatic. The gospel was my tonic. With Christ, I couldn't lose. But to walk with God like Enoch, I knew I couldn't cruise. This walk is a beast, but nothing's greater than the cross. Saw the mark of the east and the of the laws, while power records were choosing to carry G-Unit, I was on that revolutionary theme music, the brothers from the Lou held it down as well, but we noticed a big shift in 2012, around the time Jackie asked me about Calvinism, Christian hip-hop found a different algorithm, and crossed over, without taking the crossover, made us all sober, years later, is it all over? Trip asked me if I was still motivated, I was quiet, but I wanted to say no, I hate it, cause brothers in your camp causing lots of confusion, I love them as Brothers in Christ, but not their conclusions. They want to reach the world by all means, keep pursuing it. But tell me why they gotta diss the church while they doing it. That's what I wanted to say, but I ain't say it though. But no more laying low, I want them to play it slow. And I ain't dissing them, my prayers are the proof. Like Boaz without Ruth is unity without truth. CHH is like gorillas in the mist. With no brotherly love, it's like Philly don't exist. What's happening here? It's a different atmosphere. Appear most concerned about a rap career. career. Brothers overseas being slain in the sand while we're vain in our plan, taking fame in some fans. And I ain't got time to philosophize. Satan got a plot device. I'm seeing lots of guys apostatize. On top of all that, Donald Trump's the president. It's all good though, cause Jesus Trump's the president. So more than ever, I'm trying to rep the Lord who bled. And we ain't never gonna stop. Word to Corey Red. I'm just trying to give a healthy demonstration of theocentric music for the selfie generation. See, the problem is sin. No riddle in it, cause all sin got I in the middle of it. We're mad to praise and truly evil. We need to be born again without a Matt Damon movie sequel. In the gospel, God addresses our depravity. The lamb slain at Calvary, the depths of his agony. He rose from the grave with the funding grace. And when we come in faith, he'll bring us up from the sunken place. Our sins, decrepit depths, left the mess. No rest was left till Jesus put death to death. The beauty of the victory truly is a mystery. The cross of Jesus Christ is at the nucleus of history. Before the cross, they were saved on credit. After the cross, we've been saved on debit. Since our champion in the great war suffered, we gonna proclaim his death like the Lord suffer. So welcome to the Still Jesus Project. Yo, we just getting started and we got a lot left. Is the Holy Spirit a she? This is Kent Ham encouraging churches to start their thinking with God's infallible word. In our culture today, we're seeing an all-out war on biblical truth. Even professing Christians are ignoring what God's word clearly teaches and adapting it to fit what the culture wants us to believe. Last year, a professing Christian and bishop in the Episcopal Church referred to the Holy Spirit as she. 
this is becoming a popular thing to do. Call God, the Holy Spirit, or even Jesus a she. But we don't get to decide truth for ourselves. God has revealed himself to us in his word, and he consistently uses male pronouns. And he came to us in the person of Jesus Christ, a male. Calling God a she might be politically correct, but it's not biblically correct. Find answers to your questions about science, the Bible, and social issues at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive daily email insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com. Blessed
Is the Holy Spirit a she? This is Kent Ham encouraging churches to start their... Is marriage really for two? This is Kent Ham inviting you to visit the full-size Noah's Ark attraction in northern Kentucky. Nearly five years ago, the Supreme Court of the United States tried to redefine marriage by legalizing gay marriage. Love wins was the cry when that decision was made. But if love wins, where do you draw the line? After all, if love wins is the only ethic for sexuality, how can anyone say marriage is just for two people? Where does the idea of two come from? Without an ultimate standard, monogamy will quickly become the next domino to fall to the sexual revolutionaries. But as believers, we have an ultimate standard for marriage. God has defined marriage as between one man and one woman for life. That's his design and nothing else can ever replace it. There's so much more to discover about God and his word when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. Listen to this program again or share it with others at AnswersRadio.com. Let me start this off with a hallelujah to Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. God, the truth, so we about to school you. Check out a style maneuver. Shout it to you like the loudest group of Christ. Put us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crashing our verses as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose, partly to fetch cash from the furnace. Who Jesus extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He proceeded was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior, the greater and Came a man, came as a lamb, and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked on the cross, he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts easily posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority, so we both in a He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer, no God is realer, yeah. When you're taking your time in the scripture, what you get is a prominent picture. See his light shining bright in the night, and his bright in the might, and a diamond in the mixture. See his name at all the renown, though. When he came for the lost and he found, though, he was tamed and floss all around, but remained for the manger, the cross, or the crown. Yo, Satan had a shirt hold on him, fight for the rope, but doping in. All to the eyes of the S to the E to the N, that's what we hoping in. Risen on his spell check, the risen king can rinse clean, the most rebellious. I was hellbound, now I'm spellbound. Word is born. I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout. I was bought with a price. We got a hope that won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth's sinking. We are clinging to the promises that God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly prepared. Fortunate, everything that orbits around his glory subordinate. He is the most excellent one, intrinsic, infinite son, preeminent the name, par excellence, prenom, phenomenon. He's beyond phenomenon, you see, the father of cosmology, the abba of astronomy. He's part of we, a 
pottery It's shocking Jesus died for me The father he adopted me And constantly provides for me Whether or not I got degrees You gotta see his odyssey From sovereignty and lottery To poverty and robbery To resurrected bodily Apocalyptic prophecy He's stopping all the mockery And scholarly snobbery That don't acknowledge him properly You ought to be on bended knee Before the preeminent It's awfully arrogant To reject him to your detriment Study the development From Old to New Testament You'll find a theme that's prevalent From age to age it's relevant Crisis on its center stage Forget religious sentiments The center on man But something less is what you're settling He is the most excellent Exercising benevolence And blessing a remnant With the benefits of his inheritance yeah. The sin of sinners that separated And segregated That severed the relations Between man and his maker And placed Christ on his costly cross And compensated his life Death and resurrection Emancipated and gave us Freedom from it all Freedom from the effects of the fall Freedom from Adam and Eve In the garden of Eden And from the law So the saints stand and applaud His grace and glory of cause with hands raised, praising his name, singing glory to God. Have you made? 
uh, I have a lot of regrets. Like, um, there's a lot of things I've done uh, that, that I, I guess would conflict. I've, I've done a lot. I've lied in the past. I'm not gonna lie. I've lied. Um, Stolen? I, I have done that. Use God's name in vain? <laughs> More than once. You realize what you're doing when you do that? You're taking the holy name of your Creator, the one who gave you life, and using His holy name as a cuss word. It's called blasphemy. Would you use your mother's name as a cuss word? I uh, would not. Because you dishonor her. And you dishonor God when you take His name and use it as a cuss word. In fact, the Bible says the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes His name in vain. Death sentence for blasphemy in the Old Testament is that serious. Jesus said, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? I have. So I'm not judging you, Elias, but you've just told me you're a lying thief, a blasphemer, and an adulterer at heart. So if God judges you by the Ten Commandments, we've looked at four of them, on Judgment Day you're going to be innocent or guilty? Or guilty. Heaven or hell? Hell. So does that concern you? Uh, it does. So what can you do to justify yourself? How can you be made right with God? Uh, was it, uh, ask for forgiveness? No, that won't help you. Do you know why? Why? Well, if you stand in front of a judge in a court of law and you've committed very serious crimes, like you've shot a guard after you robbed a bank and he died, and you say to the judge, Judge, please forgive me, he's not going to say, oh, okay, uh, you can go, because he's bound by law to see that you're punished. There must be a reprobate. There must be retribution for transgression. So even repentance can't save you. If, you. if you say to the judge, Judge, I'm really sorry, I won't do it again, he's going to say you should be sorry, and of course you shouldn't do it again. So even repentance can't save you. Atonement? What do you mean by atonement? Like atonement for my sins. How can you do that? Um, by, I guess, stop whatever actions I've done in the past and try to move off from there. Try that with a judge. Judge did rob the bank. I shot the guard, but I'm going to stop doing that from now on. He's going to say, so you should. So that's not going to make atonement. Can you think of anything else? Um, for my actions, you know? How do you do that? Uh, like with the judge, it'd be jail time. And that's hell for you. So you don't end up there. Hell is God's prison and there's no parole. The Bible says you'll be damned if you die in your sins. You know what you need? I don't need the atonement that God provided. You know what the word atonement means? It really means to make things right. At one moment, atonement. God provided a savior. Jesus on the cross. He suffered and died for the sin of the world. And there's bad news. And bad news is this. The Bible says all liars will their part in the lake of fire. See, in big trouble on Judgment Day, and there's another sin that'll take so many people to hell, it's called self-righteousness. That is saying, I'm a good person when it's obvious you're not. You're like the rest of us. We do things that are wrong, we can't help it. The Bible says we drink and make we like water. We love the darkness, we hate the light, and we only come to the light because it exposes us. So, Matthew, does it concern you that if on the Day of Judgment God judges you by your thought life and the deeds you've done in darkness and the fact that you're a liar, that you'll end up in hell? No, I don't think that matters. That's just one section of the Bible. There's many sections. I'm sure if you read another section in the Bible, it'll say something else. It does. It says that you don't have to go to hell. The Ten Commandments are called the Moral Law. You and I broke the law. Jesus came and paid the fine. Do you remember his last words on the cross? Uh, forgive them for they do not know what they do. No, that's one of the seven sayings. His last words were, it is finished. Why do you think he said that? Uh, his job on earth. 
Well, the payment had been made. We broke God's law, but Jesus paid the fine. It is finished. The debt has been nullified. See, if you're in court, even though you're guilty, if someone pays your fine, the judge can let you go. The judge can say, life's got a stack of speeding fines here, but someone's paid the lot. You're free to go. And he can do that which is legal and just and right, even though you're guilty. And God can legally dismiss your case, forgive your sins, commute your death sentence, let you live forever, all because of what Jesus did on the cross. He made atonement on the cross. The Bible says Christ is one suffer for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And he rose from the dead. The Bible says it was impossible for death to hold him. And what you have to do is repent and trust in him. Repentance won't save you, but trusting in him will. It's like turning to a parachute won't save you, but trusting in it will. If you're going to jump 10,000 feet without a parachute, you're going to hit the ground 120 miles an hour on your face. It's a fearful thing. But if you trust in a parachute, you put a parachute on, you're going to hit the ground at 8 miles an hour on your feet. You're saved because of your faith in the parachute. And the Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and God will clothe you in righteousness, forgive your sins, and you'll be born again. That's what Jesus is speaking of in John chapter 3. God will give you a new heart, new desires, open the eyes of your understanding, wash away your sins, clothe you in righteousness, give you a right standing, all because of his mercy, all because of his grace. Nothing you have done can save you. Nothing you can do will save you. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness that he saved us, but according to his mercy. Does this make sense? Oh, yes, it does. Will you at least think about it, Matthew? Yeah, probably. I'll think about it. Well, if you're going to die tonight, you'd think about it. So think about that thought. Okay, you don't know when you're going to go. Uh, thanks for listening to me. I appreciate it. I really do. Yeah, no problem. So, Elias, if you were to die today, you'd end up in hell. God gave you justice. There are two things you must do to be saved. You must repent and trust alone in Jesus. When are you going to do that? Today. Today? Sorry, today. Deadly serious? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to give you some literature. Would it okay if I pray with you? Would you be embarrassed? I would not. Yo, 7,000, we all at. Let's go! Stand up, stand up. If you truly love the Son of Man, try to 
king, so his people we will sing and forever say worthy is the land. What's up? Surprise, no surprise, I'm back in your section. With Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. More power than gravity, his knowledge and strategies confound the academy. Bow to his majesty, he paid sin salary, took up blame on Calvary. Those who love his name spread his fame is the policy. All eyes on the master's price of his sacrifice. That's prize, I'm asked to Christ and rise in the afterlife. What, did we forget about the holiness of God or something? Did we forget that God owes us a rod or something? See the snake bruise when Christ came to save dudes who hate truth. The gospel is not fake news. I gotta send the gospel sweeter than it's ever been. Ain't nothing changed, let us send, we got the medicine. It's still human emergency, the serpent attack. You think Jesus can't save? That's alternative facts. Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever say worthy is the land. What's up? Stop and listen to my composition. Lots of rhythm, but not tradition. No kind of different. But God's consistent. No contradiction. My proposition. Through crucifixion, he mocked and crippled his opposition. It's not some fiction. I'm spitting. The Son of God is risen. And my incentive for godly living is I'm forgiven. Jesus came to unlock the prison. And through the Spirit, he brings a new birth like an obstetrician. At times I listen. A lot of Christian hip-hop is missing. The proposition is my suspicion. We drop the mission. Not to this, but the Word of God is it not sufficient. The doctrine is that the gospel fixes. Is our shot condition. God the Spirit supplies conviction through proper diction. Against the backdrop of our tradition, the gospel glistens. A squad of Christians go out and witness that God's commission. Cause Jesus Christ got the top position, no competition. Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever say worthy is the land. What's up? They want Jesus in the background like elevator music, but we gon' celebrate him, relegate him, we refuse it. They hate Christian hip-hop, I peep myself. They say we too redundant, well let me repeat myself. What I gotta say almost feels too real estate. Sit back and feel the weight of what a real estate. Cause yo, Jesus Christ got me in the real estate. I'm purchased property, I feel like I'm real estate. If the Father wasn't gracious, no sin in him. Again, he came straight blameless, no sin in him. Again, nothing's been the same since, no sin in him. Again, fakers lack his fragrance, no sin in him. This is not the picture in a frame to still Jesus. Nah, we serve the rock, the harder than still Jesus. So how we gonna be silent, let the world still Jesus. When the world and its trends pass away, it's still Jesus. Then, up, hands up, if you truly love the Son of Man, trust, Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land, what's up, stand up, hands up, does anybody love the Son of Man, trust, Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever say worthy is the land, what's up, Bible 
definitively says. First John 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word all, I, I looked it up in the Greek, it actually means all, each and every one, no classifications, no strata, no sin outside of the bounds of God's forgiveness. The Bible repeats that theme. Acts 3.19, repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Think of your sins like a computer keyboard. God simply goes, boop. Erased. Well, that maybe doesn't make that sound. Boop. They are gone, blotted out forever. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You, Lord, will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. What happens to your really big sins? They are in the bottom of the sea of forgetfulness. Here's what a dead guy had to say. I look at the cross of Christ, said our Tory, and I know that atonement has been made for my sins. I look at the open sepulcher and the risen and ascended Lord, and I know the atonement has been accepted. There no longer remains a single sin on me, no matter how many or how great my sins may have been. So what is it? What's, what's your big sin? Are you thinking it's beyond the ability for God to forgive? Look at the cross. Look at the empty tomb. The implications for this, many. Number one, this fact should bring great joy to you, Christian. Number two, there are no second-class Christians. All are forgiven totally and completely. Number three, the greater the sinner God forgives, the more glory he receives. Number four, not only is the believer forgiven of his sins, he is credited with Jesus' righteousness. Wow. Number five, if God forgets your big, ugly sins, shouldn't you? Maybe it's time, Christian. A big question. Can God forgive your really big sins? Here's the short answer. Jesus' death on the cross paid for all the sins of a believer, no matter how big they are. Wretched, we're hip, we're technologically savvy. Would you please join us in liking, subscribing, or sharing this video? That's from Wretched, their YouTube page. W-R-E-T-C-G-D, um, big question, short answer is, can I be forgiven of really big sins? And short answer, yes. Um, next, what we're going to do is uh, we are done for the show, so I'm going to go out with, uh, oh, yeah, don't forget to look at wretched.org. They have their their radio show and TV show there, wretched, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D dot O-R-G. And I'm going to end the show here and go out with Yancey and Friends and the Via Vili. And bye for now.